What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Welcome back to the Behind the Box Score podcast. I am Mac Mori, your host, now affiliated with 104.5 The Zone. So make sure you find us on their Spotify page. You'll scroll and see my title on all their other podcasts. Apple Podcasts right there on our own page. And then, of course, on the 104.5 The Zone website. So excited. We are back post-Super Bowl. A little later than I wanted to be back, but we're here. Um, we're going to be really now moving into off-season stuff, free agency, combine. I'm going to have Rhett Bryan on the show here soon because he's going to be at the Combine, Rhett Bryan of Titans Radio. So we're going to be getting into all the best prospects, free agency, and this is the most exciting time. I mean, there's there's the postseason, which is amazing. And then honestly, once you get into the draft prospects, you start galaxy braining yourself over these next two months about, okay, is J.J. McCarthy really a, a top 10 pick? And even though, you know, a month ago, he wasn't a top two round pick. So... It's going to be a lot of fun conversations as far as the offseason is concerned, so make sure you tune in. But also, we are turning to the hardwood because the NBA college basketball is in full swing. Yesterday, there was over like 100 uh, NCAA college basketball games. It was uh, an amazing Saturday. We're going to be getting into that. We're also going to be hitting the NBA hard today. I've got Alex Comas and my brother, Asher Mori, joining me. Hello, boys. How are you? Doing great. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Good to have you on. We, we we had Asher, my brother, on earlier to do NBA a few months back with Alex. Alex, hello. Hey, hey Mac. Hey, and it's good to have Asher back because we haven't we haven't had Asher back since he was first on to talk about the Harden to the Clippers trade. True. Um, and so I, he's he's had a, a, a good bit of time to now see the new look Clippers, and it seems like they've been coming together. So I'm, I'm happy to hear his thoughts later on once we touch on on the Clippers and the NBA. Yes, we have a lot to talk about. I was going to say, I don't, yeah, I don't think Asher will have that much to say. I mean, it's just the Clippers. They haven't been, you know, maybe the best team arguably in the NBA since we last <laughs> talked. Um, so yeah, we're going to definitely touch on all that bunch of NBA stuff, post trade deadline, post all-star break trade deadline, all that first real quickly, just some Super Bowl thoughts, Alex, you and I can just run through some of these and then we'll get Asher in and go through some, some hoops. Let's do it. So, First off, what a game, Alex. You and I haven't even really talked. Fantastic Super Bowl. I thought it was great. I don't know about an all-timer, but that was one of the better Super Bowls I've seen. If a Super Bowl goes to overtime, I mean, it's going to be up there. I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, it, it was one of those Super Bowls, too, that I, I can't remember one existing in, in a long time like this, where that first half, it was for those fans that like to see low-scoring defensive battles, right? Because first half, it, it was a struggle to for both teams to to try and get points on the board because both teams' uh, defenses were executing at such a high level. And then the second half, that's where the points came mm-hmm. came yep. through. That's where the the schemes that both um, head coaches are geniuses at, Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid, where you saw a lot of that and just also the the absolute weapons that they both had on, on the offensive side of the ball. So it was a tale of two halves in which you got to see um, just how high level both teams were on both sides of the ball. 
Um, and you know, con- at the end of the day, congratulations to the to the Maury's on on another watching another Chiefs Super Bowl. <laughs> and yeah, it, on the next note, I don't think that the Chiefs are necessarily done. This was their worst year as far as in this dynastic six years that they've had. This was the worst offense, no question. Um, they struggled to move the ball the whole time. We really saw the evolution of Patrick Mahomes this season into being kind of a game manager, knowing when to take his shots, knowing when to run down with his legs, knowing when to just take that check down, throw it away. Okay, I can't take the sack here. Three points will work. I know my defense can get the job done for me on the other side of the ball. I mean, we really saw everything from Patrick Mahomes this season. He didn't get the MVP award. That's not the way the MVP award works. You need the stats. You need the box score. But he was the most valuable player in the league this year. Um, And he is now not competing with anyone currently as far as in the league right now, legacy-wise. It's not close. So he's now separated himself. As far as that game, though, one of the biggest ripple effects, not talking legacy, was on the 49ers side, Alex. Steve Wilkes fired. I, like a lot of others, am not a huge fan of this. I mean, again, that offense didn't look great. The The first touchdown the Chiefs had was off of a muffed punt. Um, they sacked Patrick Mahomes three times, pressured him more than enough. He was struggling, especially in those first, you know, two and a half, almost full three quarters. Really, again, it was special teams mistakes, a couple offensive mistakes some turnovers that really put the Chiefs back in the game. I thought Steve Wilkes, for the most part, did his job. And I think this is just another, okay, kick the can down the road for Kyle Shanahan. Not that he's you know, needs to be worried about his job. But I think there are other problems that maybe should point more to him specifically at what he's doing on the sidelines. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. It felt like the Steve Wilkes firing was a sort of cop out and some sort of excuse um, as to the reason why Kyle Shanahan didn't, why the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan as their head coach didn't get it done in a second Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And if you look at it too, in, in the Super Bowl itself, Nick Bosa generated 10 pressures on 48 pass rushes. That's a 20.8% pre- pressure rate. Um, that's tied for the third most in a playoff game since 2018. Um, he finished the season two with 114 pressures, which was tied for the most in a single season since 2018. So I, like their, their front seven is one of the best in the league in the 49ers, and they showed it in that first half too. And then unfortunately, you have the Dre Greenlaw injury that was a real blow for them because Greenlaw, especially in that first half, was for the most part on Travis Kelsey. And what did the Chiefs do immediately after Greenlaw went off the field? They went right at the guy who came in for Greenlaw. And so, you know, Steve Wilkes can't help injuries. And at the end of the day, his the pressure that he was drawing up to get to Mahomes was working effectively in that Super Bowl as well. And at the end of the day, I, I don't think you could fault that defense for not performing and not getting stops and and not getting a stop on that final drive either after you could argue that it's Kyle Shanahan's fault as to why his players didn't know the rules of overtime and why he told them to receive the ball first. So abysmal. I, abysmal. you can't you can't put that on Steve Wilkes. Um, exactly. His defense executed on as high level as you possibly could against one of the better offenses in the league. It, now, you said earlier that is this the, probably the worst you know, Chiefs Super Bowl win team? Yeah, it, it is. There's no arguing that, but still at the end of the day, you have you're facing the best quarterback in the league by far, the best uh, pass catcher in the league by far and Travis Kelsey. Like there's there's only so much you can do and I felt like they did 
the best job they possibly could. Um, and they they had it to where they gave their offense a chance to win the game um, with the 49ers. And, you know, ultimately, Chiefs tie it up. And then overtime, you just secede the ball to, to the Chiefs from the front end. Then your offense has a chance to win the game, which I think is something that Kyle Shanahan would have wanted. So ultimately, that decision at the end could only fall on Shanahan. So the Steve Wilkes firing, it just seems like such a cop-out. Yeah, and and you talk about the offense. I mean, almost three full quarters to create a gap larger than 10 points, and they couldn't do it. Like, Spagnola was fantastic. He called up the blitzes when he needed to. Yeah, that first drive, uh, 49ers look good. Crazy Christian McCaffrey fumbled. They get the ball back later on. They go down and they score. Uh, so early on, they had they had their offense kind of flowing, but it came to a halt, which is kind of what is, that's been the Spags recipe all season. Yeah, I'll see what you're doing. I'm going to come out with my game plan. If it works right away, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to adjust and I'm going to stop whatever it is that you want to do. And Shanahan tried with McCaffrey and McCaffrey just, I mean, he had a good game. I mean, over 150 all, all purpose yards, don't get me wrong. But as far as the ground game's concerned, I mean, it wasn't even four yards a carry for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and, and over five. You, talk, you talking about right there with Spags adjusting is early in the game, he started off with a lot of zone coverage, and Purdy was just picking it apart, just finding guys in in between, in gaps, and Spags had to quickly adjust that and, and play a lot more man. And and you talked about there with the, Sp the Spags blitz as well, um, and I forgot to credit my stat earlier from Next Gen Stats. Um, on Twitter, but here's another one: is the Chiefs' defense blitzed on 51.2 percent mm -hmm. of dropbacks, yep. which is the fourth highest rate in the game under Steve Spagnuolo as a DC for the Chiefs. So throughout the Spags era, that was still the fourth most that he had to blitz, and that just kind of it alludes to how well Purdy played in the Super Bowl, which I, I think we need to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, but also too, just the adjustment that the Chiefs' defense had to make. Um, with the way in which the first half was going and getting picked apart in zone and not pressuring too much, and then they had to dial it up. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel didn't even have a hundred yards altogether. I don't believe. I mean, it, there there were just so there was an enormous amount of stats after that game where you're just going, man. Well, it just felt like there was so much meat left on the bone from that offense for Kyle Shanahan, and again, that defense for the Chiefs, I think, ended up being the best in the league. And it was definitely the best Chiefs defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had by far, which is kind of another thing. You know, give him a defense, give him an offensive line. Now, two years in a row to some extent, especially this season, he's just made it work. Um, that's enough for Mahomes to get there. And then, of course, Andy Reid on the other end, just figuring it out, scheming up great plays. I'm seeing a lot of similarities between Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid, you know, one of the best offensive minds in the game was Andy Reid. He made four straight NFC Championship games. He won Super Bowl where he lost to Bill Belichick. And that that dynasty. Uh, he, and Shanahan right now, widely considered the best offensive mind in the game and at least the most influential. If you want to say Andy Reid is fine, but Shanahan's the one right now who has four of the last five NFC Championship games. Everyone's using the Shanahan offense. That's what everyone works with as far as schemes are concerned. Two Super Bowls and two losses in these last five seasons for Shanahan. A lot of similarities to the early 2000s of Andy Reid and the Eagles. And the narrative's really similar right now. Shanahan can't get it done in the big game. He can score you points, but until the playoffs, there's going to be a choke. There's going to be bad clock management. There's going to be a bad decision like the overtime taking the ball first. 
And I think Shanahan is a great coach, and I think he's going to end up getting more chances. But Andy Reid did not win in Philadelphia. How much longer is San Francisco going to take this? That's really the question to me. Is it two more seasons, one more season? Is it three or four more years of this? I mean, sure, getting to the NFC Championship game, being in the Super Bowl one out of every two or three years is what most franchises would dream of. But, I mean, look at the early 90s Bills. I mean, four times in a row. I think any of those fans in that franchise would take one win over four straight losses. Just one win. One. And I don't know. How much longer How much longer can he do this? Yeah, I, I, it's a fair question, too, because you look at this offseason, Brandon Ayuk may be going elsewhere. Uh, so you're, yep. you're losing your best wide receiver this season, um, possibly an Ayuk in free agency. Um, you know, the lifespan of a running back, you truly never, you know, they're, they're short. And as great as McCaffrey is, and as much as he showed us this year, there's no signs of slowing down. You don't know when that that blip can occur, and, and so I think you're you're right in saying that. You know, especially if you look at next year, where he, they're still going to have a t- at the end of the day, if Ayuk walks, they'll still have a talented roster. They'll find a way somehow. And and you look at their division too. You know, the yep. Rams. With Stafford, it's been a little bit of a decline. Not they did get to the playoffs, but um, the Seahawks have a new coach. Um, you look at the the Cardinals, and you know we'll see how it is year two under Jonathan Gannon. But they're set up within their division to prevail and at least have a shot in the playoffs. And the way it's gone in the past is the 49ers still find a way to to end up in the NFC Championship game. And so if you if they make another NFC Championship run. And let's say they they don't prevail, they lose in the NFC Championship game, or if they make another Super Bowl and lose, I I don't see how John Lynch could sit there and say, yeah, Kyle Shanahan's the guy that's going to break through when you've you have, you know, what it would be four or five losses at that point in in the conference championship game or in a Super Bowl. Um, I think ultimately they're going to feel as though it's it's time to break off and move elsewhere. So I, I would say one more year especially if they they get down to a conference championship and Super Bowl and don't prevail again. If they make the playoffs, which they will, you know, screw it. When they make the playoffs and when they play the Green Bay Packers, if they lose that game, John Lynch is parting ways with Kyle Shanahan next season. That's my take. If they lose to Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur and that much younger version of the 49ers, Mm -hmm. like they almost did this season, it's over. It's over. I I think the leash has shortened that much. Yes, this sustained success buys you time, but you've got to strike while the iron's hot. There's Bill Belichick waiting on the sidelines. There's Mike Vrabel sitting on the sidelines. There's going to be options after this season, and if Shanahan doesn't make it happen with that roster, that division that you've mentioned, and the overarch, just the over in general, overall conference of the NFC right now in the state of there, uh, of of the NFC. So I, I think. Th- that's really something to monitor this season. Okay, let's get let's get to the hoops. Um, we've got free agency, bunch of combine, months to talk about football, and again, galaxy brain ourselves over the draft and overthink this thing and end up thinking Caleb Williams is going to be a bust and J.J. McCarthy's the, the next Patrick Mahomes. We'll, we'll do it, I assure you. They'll all be here on Behind the Box Score. Again, Rhett Bryan of Titans Radio going join to the, join the podcast, if not next week, right after he gets back from the combine early in two weeks, and we'll talk all the prospects and who killed it in interviews, who killed it metrics-wise. We'll get into it all. 
All right, guys, there's so much to talk about, and I'm excited that we are here to do it on the NBA. We're going to be doing that more regularly here now that we're, I mean, getting down to the wire. I mean, this is this is the last stretch. This is where we've kind of n- narrowed down who's going to be in the play-in games. We've got kind of 10 teams in each conference where it's like, okay, maybe there's a straggler, 11 or 12 here or there, but we're kind of, this is it, like, there's a little bit of time to make a run to move up a seed or two, maybe three, depending on how tight you are, especially in the West, and maybe drop, have some guys crater. But for the most part, we know who's in. Uh, let's start with the Western Conference. Asher, you've got a bunch of good prep in the dock here. I'll start with you. We'll start with really just the state of the Western Conference and looking at some of these schedules and looking at your LA Clippers. To preface, Asher, a Clippers fan, myself, a Boston Celtics fan, and Alex Comas, a New York Knicks fan. Great game yesterday, Alex. Great game. That was fun. Go to hell, Mac. <laughs> we'll see come playoff time. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, a lot of Ash- injuries on the Knicks side. <laughs> oh, I got to say. Uh, yeah, Julius Randle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It would have been a uh, 25 point OG and Anobi. 12 point loss. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mitchell Just- Robinson. Yeah, I understand. I understand. No, I'm excited. I'm excited about yes. Very feisty, even maybe a step above feisty New York Knicks. I'm excited about your team. We're gonna get to you. Let's start in the West. Let's start with the Clippers. Let's just kind of Asher, I'll kind of let you uh roll us in here and just get us going. Cool. So uh last time we touched base was right after the Harden trade. I'm not even sure if we had played a game yet. We might have started that losing streak a little bit, but not the full five or six games or whatever it was. Then we went on a tear. Best record in the league, best advanced stats, best offense, um, at least the best advanced offensive stats um, for like two months. And now here we are. We pushed our way up into third place in a tight race with four horses at the top of the Western Conference. Um, There's been three players there, been there the whole year. We know them well. The Minnesota Timberwolves, built for um, competition against the Denver Nuggets and the new bright and shining star of the league, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, so right now, people were thinking that the Clippers, we even pushed to a half game back of first place, that we were going to kind of take that spot. But right now, there's only two games separating all of us. We just lost pretty bad to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mm-hmm. The Wolves just lost. They're in first. They just lost to your Celtics last night. Um, and the Nuggets and the Clippers, both in the last five, maybe even ten games, aren't even 500. So there's there's a lot of question marks going on, and it does really feel like a lot is going to be... Um, but there's a lot to see from these teams. There's development from these teams. There's there's coaching decisions that we're going to see to make getting ready for playoffs. And I'm I, frankly, I can't wait to see how the young players on OKC respond and how and Murray coming back for the Nuggets and all this stuff. It's going to be great. I can't wait. And and what's really cool about it too in the Western Conference is it's so tight. Um, from from seeds one to eight. It's a seven-game differential from the T-Wolves at the one seed and currently the Suns sitting at um, the eight seed. It's Suns are only seven games back, whereas in the Eastern Conference, you have such a gap from the yeah. Celtics and the Cavs who are sitting at the two seed and Celtics at the one seed where uh, I believe it's – is it the seven games? No, it's eight games. Eight. The Cavs are eight games back from the Celtics. The three seed right now would be Bucks nine games back. So 
the Western Conference, it, it really is dictating on on how their strength of schedule is through the rest of the season on on how these standings end up because it's so tight to where it could just completely flip flop, you know, a month from now from what how we're looking at it now. You've got the gap for in the West, one seed to the eight seed, seven games. That is smaller than the gap from the one seed to the two seed in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. That's that's where we're at as right. far as the position in these conferences. And so much can change and flip-flop. Let's get into the upper tiers, those top four that you spoke on, Asher. We'll start at the top, um, and we'll just kind of go around. Timberwolves, how are we feeling? You just mentioned they, they lost to the Bucks. Um, two nights ago, not the Celtics, and then they lost to, or then they just beat the Nets um, oh, the other right. night. That's right. Um, green, yeah, yeah, I no, saw no. green in the head. Yeah, My yeah, bad. yeah. No, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's just start there. Young team, Anthony Edwards blossoming. It kind of feels like this is purely his city, his franchise. Alex Timberwolves thoughts as far as Timberwolves go. Like it, what we've seen in the past with Carl Anthony Towns on the team is that. No matter the pieces they've had around them, um, they've always still tried to make them a centerpiece uh, of of their offense, whether it be the Wiggins, whether it be Jimmy Butler. And through all of those experiments, it didn't work for them. They would make playoffs, but they wouldn't win series. And now with Anthony Edwards, they finally made a switch to where they've moved on from focusing on Cat as their primary point on offense, and they're putting it down on Anthony Edwards and now it's allowed Cat to really succeed as a secondary option offensively which is a hell of a secondary option to have um, and especially with how special Anthony Edwards is too um, as your primary you know there this Timberwolves team is a lot different than Wolves teams of the past two years uh, because they've they've accepted that that change offensively uh, Rudy Gobert has I wouldn't say he's completely justified the trade value that they gave up, but he's certainly playing at a level and being an anchor defensively for them. That is exactly why they traded for him, which is is crucial for them, especially in a Western Conference with a lot of capable offenses, one being the Clippers, where they're going to need to come up with stops. Um, you, you pick up uh, Mike Conley last year that, you know, amidst all the kind of strife that they had within their team and it was just kind of a funky mix last year Mike Conley has really come in and this year stabilized that offense and is a perfect um, point guard to conduct their offense with um, so they, they have a lot of really good pieces you got guys like Jaden Daniels who's a hell of a wing defender to have like that this Timberwolves team We've seen it the last couple of years where they have these guys that are, are promising. I mean, especially you saw it last year in the series they played against Memphis, where you look at, you know, Cat and Anthony and you think, okay, wow, those are really good one twos to have. And you see the the young pieces that they have around them to to add into the mix. And now this year you see with the way in which they've played and having a one seed in the West that they've really started to put that together. Um, and, and being able to use those guys, those complimentary guys to the best of their ability around Cat and Ant playing at such a high level. Um, so I think still a lot of people will come playoff time, still sleep on the Wolves in terms of they're still young. You know, I don't know if they have, if they're going to be able to get it done against, especially like right now, they'd potentially be facing off against the Suns team if the Suns were to come out um, and win their, their play in matchup. 
you're playing the Suns first round and you look at the, you know, the the killers that the Suns got on their team and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and and Bradley Beal and I think a lot of people would still favor the Suns, but I I, I really like the the Wolves in terms of how young they are, how athletic they are. They've got a lot of different looks they could throw at teams as well, um, being extremely versatile. So I, I think they're a sneaky team to watch out for. And I think they're they're I would say they're similar to a Nuggets team in last year where a lot of people looked at the Nuggets team like, I, I don't know if I'm sold on them um, to be able to get through the West. And ultimately, you see, too, that that these teams, especially with that youthfulness, they have nothing to be scared of as they're going through. And I think, especially with last year's experience for the Wolves playing against the Grizzlies, I think it's going to serve them well in terms of what they need to do to get through a playoff series. You think last year the Nuggets were looked at as like, can they do it? I, like, I, I still, I, I would say that like a lot of, I would say that still at the end of the day, people favored Suns, they still favored Lakers, just because of, of the KDs and the LeBrons in the West. I, I wouldn't, like, and, and also too, the Nuggets hadn't gone to a Western Conference Finals prior to that point, so. Yeah, I feel like it was a really quick, quick uh, change. Like it was um, as soon as the first round ended, maybe. But if you just took a snapshot before the first round and after the first round of like how many people had faith that the Nuggets could make it to the finals and have a chance um, against the Suns, you know, against mm-hmm. your the Celtics who didn't even, you know, and like like that was, I think, just like that's it's not their year, you know, um, but I feel like it quickly changed. Yeah, and just look at their the series of the past prior to that point. I mean, you look at the Blazers series, um, you look at the uh, what was it, the Clippers series in the bubble. Like the the Nuggets had essentially had many of the, the key pieces on their team last year were were on the team in previous years, and they hadn't gotten through. So I think uh, even though they they got themselves a one seed last year, at the end of the day, still people were like, ah, we've seen this Nuggets team in the past, and they haven't come through. So, so that was that was my point on that on that. No, and, and that makes sense. You bring up the Rudy Gobert justifying his his trade value. Asher, I mean, we, we know we know the story with Gobert. When it comes playoff time, it seems like teams figure this out. They hunt him. He gets tracked down. You have to bench him in crunch time, and when it really matters, because he's a liability. Can that change? What do you think is going to happen there? Do you think a team like the Suns, maybe even the Warriors, who get in at the eight seed, can expose that immediately? Uh, no, I don't think that it's going to be exposed this time, actually. And I thought I've changed my opinion on this, but I, but I haven't looked extensively at like every single lineup that Gobert has been a part of in the playoffs or anything, but I doubt that any have been this big. And, and I'm, Agreed. and I mean, like everyone on the court is at least a six, eight, you know, like that's how big they can play in a lineup. Um, and I think it really matters. I think that Gobert gets overrun when he's like defensive player of the year stats because he can, he has the length, size, athleticism, awareness to be that guy in a game um, and, and really control the whole paint, the whole, and even extended to the mid range, you know, he's that guy, but he doesn't have to do that. And he won't be abused by teams just game planning to get him off his mark. 
um, just waiting for that three second or five second, you know, rule to come into play. Right. Um, I think that the, that the Timberwolves have, have managed that rotation well. So honestly, I think that this is a year that I would be more scared of him, you know, um, than, than normal. They also have a guy in Naz Reed coming off the bench who's yes. a great backup five to have. And if yeah. you if you could say if teams are going to run the pick and roll and try to get the switch on Gobert, and if Gobert's get if they're getting the best of Gobert in that one on one, Naz Reed is adds a little bit more athleticism at the five to be able to handle that switch. Got great value on Naz Reed Island. You know, I, I got in early. And, you know, prices, mortgages have skyrocketed there. But I I've, I got in early. I've set in. Nazareth, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. Um, there we go. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got three uh, to- other top four Western teams have a bottom 20 toughest schedule. The Clippers are a team that doesn't, Asher, your Clippers. Seven back-to-backs, now six, because we've uh, since we've written this doc, now six back-to-backs. You just got off of one where you beat the Grizzlies but the night before you lost pretty poorly to who was it? Uh, gosh. Okay. See, okay. That's who it was. Yep. Yeah. Which we talked about previously. Yeah. A 20 point or maybe even more loss there to uh, a young and up and coming uh, to say the least Oklahoma city team, which I want to touch on too. How do you feel? I mean, down the stretch here, Clippers six back to backs left. I mean, wolves, bucks, bulls, bucks, bulls, Pelicans, 76ers, Pacers, nuggets, jazz, Suns, Suns. And then obviously just finished the OKC Memphis. That is some tough runs. How do you feel like this older core, stereotypically injury-prone core, can make it through this final stretch that they really need to be there for? I think it's really important in the West right now to realize that the the disparity between first and eighth in regards to, I guess, first and sixth, you don't want to necessarily be in the play-in. The disparity in matchups is not necessarily as large as it is normally. Even you can look at the the Mavericks, right? Who maybe two months ago we were dismissing, have now won what is it eight games in a row, I believe. Um, so they are seriously coming together with uh with uh, PJ uh, Washington, I believe. Yeah, sorry, yes. PJ Washington. Well, it's uh, the longest winning streak he's ever been a part of. It's. I mean, he's he's wow. been killing it. He's been, and I know it's only been like literally like three games or something. I don't know, but it, it, he's been, he's been awesome. So what I guess with my point is, um, I really prioritize health over seeding in this specific conference, this specific year with our final schedule, which is, yeah, like you said, like seventh or something hardest remaining schedule in the league, something like that. Um, I believe it's the ninth I have right here. Ninth yeah, I think right now. Okay, yeah. It, you know, it changes. It changes after every game too. So, but yeah. So I, I I prioritize health, and I think that that could mean a little bit more resting of our stars on back to backs than what you've seen over the course of this season. And I think that that is a good call. I think you also might see resting of players like Zubats. Um, yeah, on back to backs, which is unfortunate, but I think that we are going to be working on different lineups, and um, I think that we figured out the core unit in two months. You know, so I, I think that we really just need to prioritize health and make it there. When you look at the Clippers' recent schedule and some of the losses that you guys have, which 
have come to a lot of the good teams that you've played recently. I mean, we mentioned the Thunder loss. The Warriors was a really close game. You guys came back and, and ended up winning that game. Lost to the Timberwolves by a good amount. Lost to the Pelicans here recently. Uh, do you do you take any worry with that? Going, okay, these are teams that we're going to be seeing in the playoffs that we've now lost to pretty consecutive back-to-back in the last couple of weeks. Or are you saying, yeah, that's fine. That's a blip. It's it's regular season, and it's a, it's a slide. Yeah. Um, I... I'll be honest. I can't lie to you. Yeah, I just can't lie to you. I mean, I it does concern me. Yeah, it does concern yeah. me. I think that we haven't played well against size, and I think that the West is designed right now to – you have to be designed to destroy those teams. Even the Warriors you could look at, their, the way that they play in, in their best when they're really firing and say that team can outscore those big teams. The way that they move the ball is in a way designed to just – outpass and out athlete your your the other side right and we're not that we're one of the slowest teams we have maybe the fewest passes in the league we're also Mm. not all six we are big and we can defend but we're not we don't have three seven footers you know one on the bench two out on the court right even though we can but the second's plumbly um if you look at our um Verse five, uh, verse five hundred teams. Um, the Timberwolves and OKC have us beat by about five, uh, or by about four games. Um, meaning their their record is four games better against teams five hundred or below. We're only, we're nineteen and fifteen, you know, which isn't bad, gotcha. but like, it's it's a little bit worrisome when you're looking at twenty three and twelve. I mean, that's yeah. really really good. Um, so anyway, to go on, yeah, I think that there's no question that the talent is just super immense and massive, and we have lost to those teams this year. I mean, there's no other way to see it. I think this is where Ty Lue's going to have to step up as when come playoffs, cook up something. I mean, you've got some of the best wing defenders and forward defenders in the league, and when you talk about Kawhi of all time, um, and honestly, Paul George is on a longer list, but he's on an all-time list as far as uh, forward defenders, too, frankly. Um, oh, yeah. So I don't know if that's a zone. I don't know if that's some sort of, um, you know, shade defense, more double teams, like against, you know, if you were to face uh, the Timberwolves, or I guess, you know, more early on, maybe it could even be the Nuggets, potentially. Um, swarming Jokic. Um, and making other people score. Maybe you go the opposite and say, we're going to let Zubats get torched and we're going to shut down everyone. Jamal Murray's not getting any, any daylight. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is going to, to wish he took more dribbling drills. Uh, like, those are the things that maybe you could do. And I think Ty Lue's smart enough. You have enough. There is enough there. You're right. The size is going to be the big battle, though. I agree. And you look at the... The rest of these teams, you mentioned six more back-to-backs for the Clippers. OKC four, Nuggets two, Timberwolves six, which two of which are in the next four games for Minnesota. I want to stick on the West here, um, but maybe get out of the top four for a second. We can come back here, folks, if we want to, guys. Don't worry. Um, but Mavericks, I mean, you mentioned P.J. Washington. What a great addition. Daniel Gafford really has done some good stuff there early on. Huge factors. They're on an eight-game win streak, the Dallas Mavericks are, and they're ascending in those standings Every day, it seems like right now they're 33 and 23, sixth. They're a half game back from fifth. And that's kind of could be their ceiling, unless, you know, you, the, or the Clippers or the Nuggets were to drop off. But 
they can get into the fifth seed here pretty easily and just kind of jockey positioning where they see fit as they get closer to the playoffs are the Mavericks. I mean, Alex, I'll start with you. First of all, I think this is the team that's reaping the most benefits from the trade deadline. There weren't any big blockbusters, but again, PJ Washington's just defensively, he hasn't had an offensive outburst for them yet, which he can. He, he's shot the three three ball fairly poorly this season, but he's a good catch and shoot three pointer when he's shooting the ball well. He can shoot at a decent clip. I'm talking like close to forty percent on open catch and shoots in his heyday with the Hornets. And Gafford has just kind of come in and filled in when needed. Do you think the Mavericks are like a real threat now? Like oh, they could upset someone, but like Luca Kyrie look good together. There's no, there's has been no Kyrie issues. The biggest surprise of the season. There hasn't been the, the huge Kyrie drama that I've just been kind of, yep, yeah, kind of book that late, you know, January, maybe early December. We're going to have some sort of Kyrie stuff, but it hasn't happened this season. He's played really well. They look good together. Are the Mavericks real? I, I, I definitely think so. Uh, like, like you mentioned, the Luca Kyrie dynamic has worked out perfectly this season. And it certainly helps that they've been in better health this year so far. Now, Kyrie's picked up a couple injuries, and and I think kind of the point to where Asher talked about the Clippers, I think the Mavs Mavericks, as they go through the remaining schedule, they're not going to worry too much about seeding. They're going to make sure they're healthy because I think this team healthy can compete with anyone in the West. Um, you mentioned the P.J. Washington edition. Before the deadline, they talked about how much the Mavericks wanted to add a 3-and-D guy and how they were interested in doing a reunion of Dorian Finney-Smith, who was great while he was there. He played beautifully off of Luka um, because, for one, he was the best defender they had um, on one side of the court, and then on the other side, he could camp in corners. Um, he was good at, at Luka was good at finding him for open threes, and so P.J. Washington fills that role perfectly for them. Now, it, it just Matt, it just comes down to whether he can hit, shoot threes as efficiently as Dorian Finney-Smith did um, when he was in Dallas, you add Daniel Gafford, who gives you another big that you could run at the five, um, along with Derek Lively, who's been such a great draft pick for them. I mean, his his athleticism at the five and and you've seen it. You've seen it throughout the season too. the chemistry that he's building with Luca and Kyrie off of pick and rolls is is incredible to watch. I mean, he is really picking up um, how and, and been working with them on how he, they want him positioned uh, in certain situations, and and he's starting to sc- to contribute more and more. And they're finding him uh, more with more open looks under the basket as well, or, or for alley oops or whatever. But also defensively, he is so athletic that he he's such a problem down low for teams. Um, and and you can't get a switch on him and feel as though your you know your guy could take him one on one because he's so athletic. He's going to stay on on a guard. Um, so for them, it's it's that versatility, it's that use, youthfulness, and you add into the fact that you got a top five player in the league in Luca that come playoff time has shown that he's he's going to be there for the moments. Um, add into the fact of of add in Kyrie Irving to the to the uh, to the equation as well with the big time moments he's got on his resume. So I, I really like this Mavs team and and how versatile they are, how efficient they are offensively, and they've gotten better defensively because that's been the biggest question over the last two seasons for them is if they can defend. And last year they didn't make the playoffs a lot because of injuries, but also because they had one of the worst defenses in the league. Um, and they've really improved upon that this year. And getting Gafford and P.J. Washington definitely help you with that as well. So 
I, I really like the Mavericks. They're, they're one of those teams in the West that I, I don't think a lot of people want to play. Um, I, I think people would rather face off against the Timberwolves. They'd rather face off um, against a, a Clippers team potentially than, than go up against a Mavericks team right now that's just seemingly building more and more chemistry and getting hotter and hotter. Wow. Over a Clippers team potentially. That's surprising. That's surprising. I, I I don't know if I'd have him there. Asher, what what say you to that? Yeah, that was and that was not expected. That was not expected. Um, I'm trying to look something up because I'm pretty sure uh, this is true. The one a of all, they're they're super scary. There we we are. We've touched on. It. I completely agree. I mean, really focusing on the fact that they have. Um, diversity and youth and chemistry and their size and defense that they haven't had ever in in Luca's career is huge and then of course Kyrie is the is the curveball that isn't curving so it's it's perfect right it's perfect everything on paper is just clicking clicking and yeah I would be I'm a Clippers fan. What do you know? Yeah, I, I would be extremely scared to play Luca in any playoff series. So yeah, I'm trying to avoid Luca every year. Yeah, I don't want any of it ever again. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, which we beat them by the way. I'm just saying. Yeah, he's but scary. It's still, it's still scary. <laughs> scary. Yeah, that's crazy. You win, but it's still like, uh, I don't want to do that again. Exactly. Um, there is a team that there's like five teams and I think that the Mavericks are one of them and I'm, I'm trying to find the stat but I'm like 95% sure that they do not have a lineup that has played uh 100 yes. minutes right yes. 100 minutes yes. together they have no not yes. a single lineup that has that played 100 minutes together that is insane that's crazy it's insane that's insane I, I like mathematically. I don't even understand how this is possible. Um, and there's no Kyrie drama. The first thing you'd say is, "Well, that you know, Kyrie drama. That's got to yep. be. There's got to be a story yeah, there. Man. There's no story. It's just what's going on." So, um, I <laughs> I don't really know what else to say about that. Besides, like, if they're getting this kind of chemistry without even having that many minutes played with the right lineups, and they've made this many switches and trades and really implementing him well. I think we're only going to see them get better and better and better over these yep. next two months. Yeah. You talk about seeding too. I totally, I totally don't necessarily disagree that they're going to play like for health because I think that ultimately they are and they're not really scared of anyone because of what we're talking about. But um, I could see them definitely pushing to not play um, the Timberwolves or OKC. And I think people think that they're going to gun for OKC. I don't think they are. They're they're young too. They're not. They they they, they see talent. They know talent. I, I don't think that they're thinking to themselves, "We're vets. They're young. They don't know what it's like to have experience in the playoffs. We'll kill them." They're also yeah. young. Agreed. Agreed completely. Also, you mentioned that stat of the five teams that have a hundred you know minute lineups together and stuff. Three or four of those teams, and I can't find the stat either, Asher, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Three or four They're of those the worst teams, teams in the league, right? The worst teams in the league, yeah. And then it's the Mavericks who are like surging right now like and playing yeah. extremely well, like going to compete in the Western Conference. They're on that list. And 
it's a great segue into what we haven't seen from them, especially with the PJ Washington and Gafford editions. They can go big. Like you said, now they have another guy, Alex, to stunt Derek Lively. They can bring in Gafford, have another five, have another center. But I'm excited to see them go small ball with a lineup of Kyrie, Luca, Derek Jones, Josh Green, and then put in probably PJ as your small ball five. I don't know if we've really seen a lot of that lineup. We couldn't have seen a lot of it. It's been four games with PJ Washington. So I think that's something that we're going to see in these next two months. And I think they're going to pull out in the playoffs. I I think they have a lot of, like we've mentioned, versatility. I just think they're going to be fluid and they're going to have so many different ways to attack you. And each way, Luka Doncic is at the center of it. So no matter which way it is, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, so, okay, we're all kind of in agreement there. The Mavericks are real. I would not have necessarily said that even two weeks ago, um, and that's just what I love about the NBA. It changes that quickly. Um, any other thoughts on the West before we transition to the East here? Yes, just one tiny more thing. Great. To give you an idea of how many minutes you can have played together, Caldwell Pope, Gordon, Jokic, Murray, MPJ, Nuggets, have played 600 and 63 minutes together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Murray's been out multiple games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sweet. It's nuts. It's crazy. No, it's nuts. That's, that's the perspective we need. No, I appreciate that. That's exactly right. It's like, no, this is insane. They are not playing any basketball together, but they're winning and they look like they do. It's, yeah. they look like they've played together for years. Um, and that, that may just speak to Luca, by the way, and Kyrie as well. Those two guys at the center of a team leading can just kind of make anyone work with them, especially when Kyrie's off his BS. Seriously, when he's just going to work and doing his thing. Um, yeah, and like we've mentioned, the injury issues, maybe here or there, that's going to happen throughout a season with Kyrie at his age. It's just, it's, that's going to be a thing. Um, and I want to see a little more from Luca on defense, but like we've mentioned, they've put enough you know, bumpers around him for it to be okay if he is lackluster from time to time on the defensive end. Okay. Eastern Conference. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Let's start there. Let's go worry meter. Uh, Let's get into it first. Uh, Asher, you kind of roll through this. You you put a lot of this on the dock, so roll, roll through this for us. Yeah, for sure. So the connections are everywhere. Doc Rivers, (laughs) <laughs> Previously with the Clippers, replaced by Ty Lu, goes into the press box, comes out a head coach for a team that he says he wouldn't wish this job on anyone. I'll never forget that line. Goes in and loses, um, let's see here, eight of their first ten games. Their only two wins coming to the Hornets and the Mavericks right before the Mavericks started doing what they're doing right now. Um, so their losses, by the way, uh, I mean, they played some good teams, but they also lost to the Portland Trail Blazers, um, the Miami Heat, who I understand. We all know the potential, but the Miami Heat this have not done anything. Um, yeah. And the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies. So, yeah. It's been really, really bad. Um, not to mention their coaching issues. They're, oh, Doc Rivers, there's so many question marks already, even before he played a game with his postseason record. Now he's doing 
this terrible job or seemingly terrible job in the in the regular season, he's on contract through 26-27 season with a $40 million contract as they still owe buyouts to Mike Budenholzer and uh, Adrian Griffin. So th- th- they're, they're spending money on, on head coaches like they're, they're absolute star athletes on the team, which coaches deserve money, but you don't need to just – you don't need to be with these salary caps and new rules be spending money like this on coaches. I've been actually pretty confused with, with the decisions there. Um, I think that there were better coaches available. So my worry meter is extremely high, extremely high. I heard someone say um, it was Zach Lowe um, talking about um, uh, oh goodness, who's a uh, Chris Middleton? Sorry about that, Chris Middleton, um, yeah. and how what he's looking for in this sort of like what do we need to watch for on the Bucks um, is Chris. From here through the end of the season, and it's all about culture. It's all about it's all about communication. It's all about leading on and off the court, and it's about um, essentially getting attention back to what he's done for the team throughout all of these successful seasons. When right now the attention has been entirely on Damian Lillard and and um, Giannis, which is great. They deserve attention, but he's he he's putting attention on crit on. Um, Chris, which I, I appreciated. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see how much of an influence he can have on a team at this point. But I think from a leadership perspective, a focus perspective, having five coaches in three years or whatever it is for them, and it's it, it's something like that, if that's not correct, then, I mean, it's it would be really difficult to not to all of a sudden just fall in the arms of your coach you know it's like there's not really trust immediately there so I would be looking for the for the for the veteran leadership on the team if if they are going to have success I I'll, I'll say this too as far as uh their newly appointed head coach he's riding off of one ring that he won a lot due to veteran leadership yeah hey there you go yeah that's exactly right no that's that that that's it um, and obviously some health issues led to the lack of another ring. They could have had one more, but that's okay. We don't need to get into that. Uh, 17th defensive rate in defensive rating right now are the Milwaukee Bucks. That's not going to cut it. Uh, they've been poor on defense all season. Honestly, that's generous. They've been really bad defensively and Damian Lillard's been at the center of that. He's been targeted. He's looked real rough. And I know on the offensive end, he's done his thing for the most part, at least in, in the early on in the season, these last couple of weeks, obviously they've really, really struggled, but defensively, I don't know how they can necessarily fix this. I mean, getting Patrick Beverly was an addition where they're trying to obviously focus on that. Alex, when you see the Bucks, is that your biggest worry? I mean, is it the defense? Without a doubt. Uh, I mean, cause they have three capable guys in their lineup who can go and get you a bucket and Giannis, Damian and Chris Middleton when healthy. And, and that's been a big thing for them this season too, is Middleton's missed quite a few games. Um, and, and that's a key piece to be missing because you pointed out, you know, the Patrick Beverly edition, but you, you look at the depth they have. They, they have little depth. I mean, you got Malik Beasley starting as, as your two guard and look, Malik Beasley is shooting the ball well this season, but Malik Beasley is, is getting up there. He's, he's not the same young Malik Beasley out in Denver. Um, and, 
look, he, he's, I would say he's a slightly above average defender, but I mean, still that's, that's who you're rolling with against, uh, you know, odds are a Celtics team is your biggest competition in the East. And do you feel that Malik Beasley could get the best of Jalen Brown in a series? I don't think so. Um, Add into the fact Brooke Lopez has not been the main staple um, or has not been as effective as an anchor down low defensively as he has been in years past. I mean, um, you look at the last couple seasons, he's kind of been around that defensive player of the year um, discussion just because he's been so, so crucial for them on that side of the ball. He has not looked um, great this season. He has not shot the ball that well either um, this season as in years past. It, it and you know, you you go on down the bench as, as far as their depth goes. I mean, Pat Connaughton is is not putting together the best the best year, and and that's who you're relying on coming off for you. Um, you know, you got Jay Crowder, who is another aging veteran. You you picked up Gallinari this season, so yeah. the, a lot of these guys that you're depending on, you know, as as your complementary players to around Giannis and, and Chris Middleton and Lillard are guys who are are not in their best years are not in the prime of their careers. Um, and you're expecting them to kind of revert back to that, um, to be able to take you to the next level. And I just don't, I don't think they're capable of that. Um, and look, I, I, I guess you can consider me a somewhat of a doc rivers hater, but I'm sorry, come playoff time. That is not the coach that you can say, will get me to, will have the strategy in place. Um, and be able to make the adjustments within a series to get you through to the next round because that man has blown more 3-1 leads than anyone else in NBA history or been a part of more 3-1 blown leads than anyone else um, in NBA history. So I, I just... He's darn near going to try to tie everyone else combined. Like, <laughs> it, it's out of this world. It's out of this world. And, and just look at the East. Like, I mean, we talked about how the West from... One to eight is so tight, and and the East is not. As far as you know, you look at the East. You know, one through eight right now. You got Celtics, Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, Sixers, Magic, Pacers, Heat. All right. You look at the Bucks matchups. Do do you feel confident against them? Against you know a Heat, a Pacers, a a Bulls, a Magic in the first round? I, I would say yeah, they they'd be a favorite there. But it's the question of if you think they could get out of the second round. And against the Knicks, the Sixers, um, definitely not a Celtics. Like, I don't, I don't feel confident. I wouldn't be afraid to go face off against them if I'm any of those teams with champion or with Eastern Conference, um, you know, championship hopes. I wouldn't be afraid to go at the Bucks right now, especially with the way they've been struggling. And, and like I mentioned, the lack of depth that they have. If you can find a way to to combat uh, Dame and and Giannis as best you can, you're not afraid of anyone else on that team. Um, and especially if, if Middleton's going to be banged up like he has been most all year, you're, you're not really afraid of much of that team. Fourth hardest schedule remaining for the Milwaukee Bucks. Celtics oh. twice, OKC twice, Clippers twice. Uh, they'll face the Knicks and the Pelicans and the 76ers, who we'll see um, that Joel timeline as far as that. That's going to be huge to really how hard those 76ers games will be but this is this is not an easy stretch for them remaining no that sounds terrible um yeah i don't i don't think this is going to be a great year for the bucks unfortunately we'll we'll see how it all plays out but right right now i'd i'd rather play them 
than literally anyone else besides the Bulls, Hawks, and Magic. Ever everyone else that's in their then the top ten. I'd rather play the Bucks except for those three. So I guess they're still fourth. They're almost at the at the at the fifty percent. You know whatever. But those are some not great teams. So it's it's been it's been pretty bad. And, and yeah, that is an incredibly based on on defensive rating and the fact that I actually think that 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 a game planning against them from a defensive standpoint would be easier than a lot of these other teams. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at playing against Eric Spolstra. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when, when I say that, or like there are just things that these teams have that are probably against the speed of the Pacers for seven games in a row. Get out of town, get out of town. That would be insane. Um, playing so they're just things. And having they're and, things. and having Thibodeau just absolutely torch you with full court presses and and playing his guys more minutes than you can fathom. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's levels to this. I completely agree. Yeah, hey, hang back, hang back on that a little bit, Mac. Playing playing his guys more minutes than you've ever seen. Let's let's relax. All right. <laughs> Uh, Alex, I mean, this is a good transition. We'll go to your Knicks before we go to my top-seeded uh, Celtics. Um, New York Knicks, what, what are you feeling right now? How, how do you how do you feel? Um, I think this is the best stage the New York Knicks have ever been in, not, not just as far as the team's concerned right now, but just the vibes for New York right now. I, like, even just thinking about the offseason, you know, however the rest of this season plays out, I just think the offseason is going to go well for the Knicks. I think they're in a destination now. I think you guys have actually put yourselves in a decent position now with a few years of of success, winning playoff series. How do you feel right now? I think this is the best Knicks team I've liked in a very long time. And, and I would say even more so than the team that was sitting as a five seed and, and took the Hawks to six games in the Eastern Conference semis. Like I like this team a whole lot more um, because of the pieces that they've brought in this season – fit so much better um than they have in the past you know and and you know as much as I love RJ and I was quite a critic of him but especially losing a guy like Emmanuel Quigley um who I, I loved off the bench it was such a scoring burst yeah. and you go and get a guys in OG Ananobi who I wasn't exactly high on didn't 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 exactly trust that he was worth, you know, what, the three, four, four first-round picks that the Raptors were wanting a year before um, from teams when they were shopping him at the deadline. And the deal that they ended up coming out with to get Ananobi was good for the Knicks. They didn't give up too much. And you also brought back a guy in Precious Achua. And quickly, mm. uh, OG Ananobi proved that he was he was worth every bit of value that they gave up. Agreed. I mean, he's such, he's such a weapon defensively for them. And, and that's going to be critical, especially in the Eastern Conference where you have a lot of talented three, four guys that are, you know, at position three, four guys that you're going to need to find a way to stop. Um, you look at the Celtics, you're going to have to find a way to, to stop Tatum with the way he's playing this year. Um, you look at the Bucks, you're going to have to find a way to stop uh, Giannis. I mean, those those are teams where you're gonna have to get by, find a way to get by, and against guys who are top ten players in this league. And, and OG Ananobi proves he's a top ten defender in this league. So I think Thibodeau was just couldn't be happier to be able to land him, and he's fit perfectly for them. He shot the three ball well too. 
um, while he has played, but now he's out injured. Um, Julius Randle has been out injured, but he to have weapons around him now in getting um, Bo- Bojan Bogdanovic from Detroit and Alec Burks um, as well to come off the bench and surround Randle and Brunson, who's having an incredible year and deserving of an all-star game um, that he got to participate in. To have shooters around them fits them perfectly because they're best at getting downhill and attacking the paint. So to surround them with shooters on the outside, capable ones, instead of having to settle for you know 32% R.J. Barrett from three is such such an upgrade for them. And to where now I, I really like the versatility and the complementary pieces that they've put around guys in Brunson and Randall to, to where I really... <laughs> I think a lot of people would look at at them f- facing a Celtics team, a Bucks team, um, a Sixers team, and and think, ah, I, you know, you still got to favor the guys with the stars, with the with the top ten players in the league, and, and an Embiid and a Giannis and a and a Tatum. But I think this team has that capability to where they're they're almost like a Nuggets team of last year, where they can they can knock those teams off just because of mm-hmm. the depth that they have from from one to eight in an eight man rotation and the versatility they have um, and just really good players and Randall and, and Brunson who, you know, if they execute like they should um, be, you know, capable of on a playoff level, they have guys around them that, that can get the job done as well. So uh, I, I, I really like this Knicks team and I think it's, there's the, in the back of my mind, it's, oh, oh boy, here we go again, building up that hope that, that New York is going to find a way to get it done. And then, you know, if they, <laughs> depending on how, the, how it goes this season, I, you know, I'm not expecting them to make a finals appearance. I wouldn't even expect an Eastern Conference finals appearance, right? I, you know, they'll, maybe they'll find a way, like, maybe they'll find a way, but ultimately I'm, I'm ready for ultimately that fate of, ah, just not enough. And then I'm going to be looking at the offseason like, oh, my God, if you're a free agent, look at the pieces that they've surrounded yeah. this team with yeah. to where it, it is very similar to the Brooklyn situation when Kyrie and KD eventually when that when they made that decision to go across town, because the Knicks have guys who are under contract uh, with cap room and young guys too surrounding them that are capable guys on, on championship teams. So. I really like the Knicks' chances. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Right now, sitting at the four seed, two games back from Milwaukee at the three, three games back from Cleveland, who's been really underrated this season. I think yep. it's because of what happened last year against your New York Knicks in the playoffs that people just ignored them. Embarrassing. It was embarrassing. And I think everyone is kind of just at the point where, okay, we got to watch Cleveland right that wrong until we really take them seriously. And right now, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, they'd have the Pacers round one. And that would be a fun, well, such a great matchup. A great matchup. I mean, I'm just saying, I guess, play-ins matter. I'm just saying the Pacers win their play-on game, I guess. I'm assuming that. And then it would be Pacers-Cavs, and that would be a fantastic round one matchup. But yeah, the Knicks, I mean, at that four seed, behind them, the Sixers, uh, we don't know really what's happening with Embiid. They're falling right now. They've not looked good without him. New York has the chance to rise and keep ascending it, it, at very best to that two seed. Not to that one seed, though, because, again, the Celtics with a seven-game lead right now on Cleveland. Again, a bigger, th- a bigger gap than what we have in the West from one to eight is what we have in the East, one to two. Are we, and this is a Celtics fan talking, but... Bringing it to the floor to you two, are we underrating Boston right now? 
are we not talking enough about them in the East? And Asher, I'll start with you. I, are are we just kind of glossing over them? Oh yeah, forty five and twelve. Oh yeah, they added you know the two best pieces they could have added in the off season, and they've looked incredible. And Jason Tatum's playing the best basketball he's ever played. And we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's good. What do, what do you think? Sorry, it's just the way that you, you talk about them. The two best we could ever. It's the best choices. I mean, just look it, at them. It's just so the condescending toward us. Like, what do you two idiots know? Look at how good my team is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, do I think they're underrated? No, I don't. No, I don't think they're underrated. For me, every time they're brought up, which is most every podcast and show at least one time, you know, it's not like they're completely ignored. It's just that when you look at the Eastern Conference, what you want to talk about isn't the eight game disparity or seven between first and second. It's all of those teams that we just spent time touching on um, because because we know what the Celtics are. And I know that you are very different this year, but we have seen you in the conference finals with this core multiple times. And when I say core, I'm talking to people, right? Okay, fair. Um, I was going to say, yeah. I understand. I understand it is a different core, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so, no, I, I don't think they're underrated. You guys are like uh, plus 120 or something to make it out of the East. It's like the, the stupidest line in the world from the, from the sports books. Like, no, I just, I just don't think you're underrated. I think that's insane to like, I think that you are by all metrics, by all things that people say, the definitive number one team in the NBA, you have streaks and stretches of the best defense and the best offense in the league. Like, I don't think there's a way around that. So no, I think Tatum might be underrated. We can talk about that. Yeah, but I don't that, think that, that the team is fair. underrated. I, I think you could also say that a lot of people are. It it it's almost similar to the Cavs, but there's more of a track record to back it. And 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 Asher alluded to it. it it's it's the question of if Tatum and and Jalen Brown can can get it done, right? Yeah. And, and we've seen it so many times of of Eastern Conference Finals appearance and being so close and, and fi- the one finals appearance as well. And ultimately they haven't. So that's, I think that's why a lot of people are like, okay, wow. Yes. The Celtics are the best team in, in the NBA right now throughout this regular season. I mean, the record shows it. Um, they're, they've been dominant, but you know, that, that playoff atmosphere is, is different. Um, and especially locking up the one seed and getting home, home court throughout is going to be, huge for the Celtics as well. It's going to be a definite benefit for them. Um, I think, but ultimately I, I think a lot of, a lot of people and it, it's kind of the weak take and the weak, um, you know, just, Oh, well, we'll, we'll see a uh, line, but I mean, we've seen it so often, especially with Tatum and Brown throughout their Celtics careers um, that, you know, a lot of people could say they could have the greatest regular season, but we need to see it ultimately them come through come playoff time. No, I, I, I agree with that. I will say, I think some of the, oh, we've seen this over and over again, it's a little overplayed. I mean, shoot, Tatum was 19 and 21 in two of those Eastern Conference finals and, and Brown 20 and 22. So let's give them a little bit of a break on some of that. But I, absolutely, yeah, we've seen this and it is time for them to finally kind of break the seal and, and break through and and get it done. And this is the team to do that. Holiday and Kristaps and have been perfect additions. Derek White is having in a, an incredible season truly just a, a guy who you can't 
put in words what he does on the basketball court. You can't put it in a box score. You just have to watch. And the, the things that he does, the little things that he does, truly just change the whole outlook of this team. And right now, I think, again, the Celtics team's <laughs> looking great. And I'm still worried, even 45 and 12, still worried when I look at the standings. The eight seed is the Miami Heat. I hate that. I, I hate that as a Celtics fan. I was just thinking, I've been thinking about that. If, if you guys have to play them in the first round, I'm going to lose my mind. Scary I'm, I'm Terry. Laugh, so. Scary Terry revenge tour. Yeah, and scary, exactly. Scary Terry. I mean, it's this whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's going to be something to monitor, something that I do not want to. I didn't want to play them, um, you know, last season. Uh, I I don't want to be a part of playing the Miami Heat and Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler in the playoffs in a seven-game series. I don't really even care about the rest of the team. As long as those two are there, Bam's there, I don't want it. Um, so that that's something that I'm still going to be monitoring, even though, again, the Celtics are uh, the best team in the league. Eight-game win streak, eight-game win streak on the road as well, as well as just an overall eight-game win streak. Some things to monitor really quick before we get out of here. Magic. Three game win streak, eight and two in their last ten games. They're the six seed, thirty two and twenty five. Just you know, a game or two back from getting up to that four seed in the East, as tight as it is in the middle of that conference. The easiest schedule remaining in the NBA, the Orlando Magic. So something to monitor that they could really surge and get into that top three seed. And and Paolo Bancaro with a game winner against the Pistons. And I know it's the Pistons, but still game winner yesterday. We're recording this Sunday, February twenty fifth, and he's coming into his own. And I'm really excited about them. And then, yeah, we mentioned the Miami Heat. Um, 26th easiest schedule remaining. Extremely easy schedule. And they're, I believe, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. So, yeah, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. So something else to monitor when you look at the Eastern Conference and who's, who's winning, who's not, and who, who's going to end up where in the meantime before we talk again, which hopefully... Let's make this an every other week discussion at the very least, boys, for the rest of this season as we ramp things up. This was fun. I mean, so many more things. We could, I feel like we could pull another hour and a half easily of just NBA content. There's just so much to talk about, especially when it's been a while. Um, let's shorten that gap. Let's get together here again soon. Thanks for joining the show this morning, you guys. This will come out tomorrow, um, midday, and we'll get back on, on the grind, on our NBA grind. We'll talk some college basketball here soon as well. I want to talk. Uh, Tennessee Vols. I'll get Ryan Shumpert from Rocky Top Insider on the podcast again to talk about uh, just that fantastic team. Rick Barnes, can he get it done? Dalton Connect, the whole thing. Uh, we'll have all that content here, plus Combine. I'm going to have Rep Brian of Titans Radio on the show, and of course, Alex Comas and my brother Asher Mori going to join the show again. We're going to talk Pro Hoops, NBA. It's all here on the Behind the Box Score podcast. Thanks, guys, for joining. This was fun. Hell yeah. Thanks for having us. Go Knicks. Let's go clips. All righty. Well, well, I guess if we're all doing it, go Celtics. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks so much.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.